Thank you for tuning into the VF1 show with VF and Vincenzo, the podcast that discusses all things business, marketing, politics, and government within the world of Formula One. If that's your thing, then you found the right place. So without further ado, it's lights out and away we go. Welcome back to the VF1 show. I'm your host, Vincenzo Landino. Today, I've got a, quite a slate for you. We're post Saudi Arabia GP, so we've got a few things to talk about from there. I think VF thinks that uh, Jeddah is elite. MSC Cruises teaming up with F1 at Abu Dhabi. We got some Red Bull drama. Sebastian Vettel, we're talking. Confusing penalties. We've got it all on this show. But I've got to introduce my co host, who I've already mentioned, VF Castro. Hey, don't. I'm good. How are you? Fantastic, as always. This is probably my favorite part of the week. We've got some interesting stuff. I'm excited to talk about that. It's uh, it's been a week. Let's put it that way. If uh, I, I just feel like Mercedes and George Russell shouldn't have to post photos on Wednesday following a race, where do we send the trophy back? <laughs> oh my it, God, I know. It's like, it's, 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 it's funny. And especially because the fact that Fernando Alonso and George Russell spent, um, it was at New Year's together. And so you know that they're they're good friends, but mm-hmm. it's sad that like the FIA allowed that race to happen the way it happened at the end. And we can even go into if we really want to go in there. I mean, we've got what about stroll the 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 safety car? Yeah, they came out. What do you do? You have any thoughts on that? I just think it's another situation that the that the FIA have haven't preemptively planned for. I mean, and this was a, a kind of a. A comment that I was seeing a lot after this race that F1 makes way too much money for the FIA for them to just be making shit up as they go or, or not having yeah. continuity. And that's the most frustrating thing about F1 right now. And I think I I saw a comment a while ago from, I can't remember the person who said it, but they said F1 is the only sport where the governing body dictates how things go, uh, dictates race outcomes. And it's like, mm. it, th- that, I don't know, that, that it, it, it still rings true. And you think after all the 2021 controversy that the FIA would have gotten it together and said, okay, we need a quorum, we need to sit down and, and preemptively play it for every single scenario, every single situation, so we get this right. Because it, it's like, they can't go a single race without a major incident. Yes, I mean, listen, I think it's very similar to referees have, you know, far too much. I don't want to say say because they should have a say on on the on the actions of the game or the match or whatever. But sometimes they seem to get themselves overly involved in the storyline. And yes, I will say that the FIA just continually makes themselves the main character or it looks like they're making themselves the main character and you know what i found really really almost troubling this this was troubling to me you know regardless of the penalty and all that stuff because and for those that maybe aren't aware or or whatever but fernando alonso was was uh, penalized for um uh improper uh, grid placement at the start Right, so his car was over the line. Uh, to, it was kind of over to the right where it should have been, but a little bit more to the left in the grid box. That's what it was. And uh, he was given a penalty at a point during the race, five seconds to serve. 
in which he did. He served it under a safety car, which I'll get into that in a second. He served it under a safety car, which also brought up a lot of people. I, I noticed there was a lot of people asking, can you serve under a safety car? Can you serve your probably under a safety car? Um, it's my belief that you are allowed to serve under a safety car, but I know that it used to be the case when you could not serve a penalty under a safety car. So whatever, apparently there's confusion there. He served it. Apparently the Jack, and I haven't even watched the videos and all this stuff or anything because I just haven't had time, nor do I really care um, about this aspect of it. But a Jack man touched the car before the five seconds was up in which he was then given a 10 second penalty for improper um uh, for for doing work under a penalty in which aston martin appealed and said well the jack touching the car doesn't constitute work being done on the car which i believe is, is accurate and correct and they showed seven other instances in which um the penalty was not given in that circumstance they won the appeal Alonzo ended up getting his place back, which even that is all messed up. He gets on the podium third place. He then, after the race, his, his third place is taken away and given to Russell. And then after the appeal, it's given back to Alonzo and Russell has to give his his third place back, his, his fake podium finish back. Just a cluster, right? If it sounds confusing as I'm saying it, just imagine how it was unfolding on Sunday. I mean, we were literally talking about a race until you know, 10 o'clock Eastern time at night in the evening after the race had finished seven hours earlier. So this is being talked about in the middle of the night, essentially in Europe and in, in, you know, the Middle East where the race took place. That wasn't even the worst part, in my opinion. Oh, what did you make of that? Just step back and forth. What do you make of that? Yeah. Um, I think Alonzo, he said it best. He said there's something really wrong with the system, but it's the way it is, and it's a bit sad for the FIA. And the interesting thing was that the FIA said that teens had accepted previously that it would be a breach if mechanics touched the car in any way, shape, or form. Hours later, the FIA, when the FIA reversed its decision, they said, Having reviewed the new evidence, we concluded that there was no clear agreement as was suggested to the stewards previously that could be relied upon to determine that parties had agreed that a jack touching the car would amount to working on the car. So apparently there was this agreement between the teams and then it it wasn't an agreement between the teams. So it's like, what? Mother, get it together. It was like drunk gentlemen's back room conversation that was never fully codified with the FIA who knows but how they put that explanation out I it's anyone's guess and that kind of also brings up to me the safety car issue we at home could clear as day see that Lance's car was safely away from any racing action and actually he could have he could have gotten the car even further away had there not been a tractor or some sort of um, there was something that was kind of blocking it off, blocking off where he was going. But they they deployed a full safety car, and the reasoning for it was because the sensors were not um, alerting them to where Lance was on track. But everybody at home 
with access to just regular television broadcasts could clear as day see that he was nowhere near it. Like, what are we doing here? This is supposed to be the pinnacle of motorsport, and yet they can't figure out where the car is on track. But everyone at home, and never mind if you have F1 TV or something like that, or you have multi-viewer and you can watch all the different camera angles and all this stuff and you can see where Lance's car is. Like, doesn't that doesn't that make your head doesn't that make you scratch your head? Because to me I'm like, how can't you how do you just not know? What like, oh we're just gonna go to full safety car because we just don't know where the car is. Yeah. Like what I what about other drivers driving through saying, oh yeah, there's Lance's car is way out. Like couldn't the drivers say, oh there's the car is nowhere near the racing line. Don't you think the drivers would have said, oh my God, there's a car in the racing line. Oh my God, this is unsafe as they're flying through it? Perhaps. <laughs> it's F1. Um, but yeah, I, to your point, it, it was stunningly shocking. It was, it was all the adjectives because like you said, we knew where the car was. We knew exactly where the car was. How, again, with the continuity and now people are saying, because once again, everything has to be political, that the FIA wanted to gift Red Bull a one-two. I mean, I don't want to go there. It, it right. I don't show that early on. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, though, that's where everybody automatically goes. And they're not doing much to quell those, you know, conspiracy theories here. Mm-hmm. So... At the end of the day, I mean, you control what you can control, and the FIA can control this. They just, again, every single season, they choose to do things and allow things that are just so mind-blowingly stupid that us as fans are sitting in the back going, what do y'all do when you're not, like, overseeing race weekends? Do you, do you guys go through race, uh, go through uh protocol and rules and try and figure out how you can make these rules better or more or more or more clear it just yeah, i don't know it, it just it doesn't sit well like it just doesn't i again I, I don't go to a conspiracy route because I, i'm not one of those people but like from the initial camera angles available the exact position of the stop car was unclear and therefore the safety car was employed as the safe, safest option that was the statement that they released it, it just like what what are we doing here you know and and again i always come back to this as the as my issue with any of the things that are done in on one hand you know liberty media formula one is trying to get more eyeballs on this sport with the series which they're doing and they've they've done with pretty good success they're building up the series in the united states across the globe in different emerging markets that they want to get into it's growing but something as simple as, as like knowing where a car is which is not that you know f1 that's fia or whatnot it, it's almost like we're coming we're, we're on track for you know a, a train collision right two trains on the track coming at each other f1 on one hand fia on the other and there have been plenty of shots fired from both sides right um like all off season it's like, what is FIA doing to keep the pinnacle of motorsport the pinnacle of motorsport? Because these things that when these things happen, I mean, this is like this devalues for me. This devalues what is is happening. And people that are new and, and you know they're new watching this 
are saying to themselves, wow, I can just go and watch another motor, you know, something else that this, this type of situation is not going to happen. Where it's so blatantly obvious. I mean, it's not like it's, you know, ticky tacky. This is like blatant. And you, you make moves like that. Uh, you know, again, I, I think at the end of, by the end of the, you know, the race, and it's clear that the Red Bulls have the pace that they were, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. But when you trigger stops, and like you said, to give others advantages, it, it is it's pretty pretty head scratching. Anyway, I don't know. I, I I guess I just had to say that, or it just felt like, what are we doing here? You know, if you want to be the pinnacle, you got you got to act like it. And right now, they're they're not acting like it. But I know you think Jeddah is elite. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I I don't know. It just it's such a unique and beautiful track. I just, it, it's kind of mind-blowing. And I guess I had a friend who was at the race and he was posting a bunch of videos and photos and I was just like kind of blown away at how beautiful and and detail-oriented everything seemed to have been. And it, I think that track, everything about that, it was designed to look sexy on camera. You can't convince me otherwise. I think Vegas, and it makes me excited for Vegas because it makes me think, okay, this is this is what a, a sexy night race should look like. So I don't know. I guess it's elite to me because if you are going to do all the things that F1 did to try and, and make this race happen in 2021, even though people were saying that it was a disaster reading nap and then there was lots of, of things that happened that justified that and validated those those remarks but when you actually look at the track at night when you actually see it it just it's beautiful and you cannot take that away from them it was also uh called the holiest circuit there's the fatima al sada mosque right right there in the shot and so it's like Every single thing was so meticulously designed on that Red Sea, on that Cornish, that it just, I don't know. I think from an actual visualization perspective, that's kind of the track dream right there. I mean, it. listen, they had, um, I believe, I'm 99% sure it was a Herman Tilke design, which um, is, is awesome, right? Cream of the crop, track designer has designed uh, a lot of different tracks that we all know and love, including, you know, Baku, uh, the Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones that her, I mean, I know there's so many, Catalonia, oh, that right. Spain, um, Hockenheim, what's that? Coda. Did he, did he design Coda? I think he yes, designed it. That's right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. He did. Yeah. I, th there's so many tracks that he's been a part of. So, like, it was designed, um, he designed Shanghai, which I would love to, you know, obviously for us to go ra racing there again. Um, Sepang in Malaysia, which is a, another track I'd love to, for us to, um, you know, to be racing on. But, um, and I think he actually designed the Las Vegas street circuit as well. So, in, I mean, fr from a track perspective, it's got everything. You're right. Um, it's super fast. I remember Valtteri Bottas said in, in the first year they raced there, 
you know, he was like, this is a freaking cool track. Like, this is awesome. Um, so driver and other drivers have said, this is a, you know, a cool track. They really like it. I, I love that. I, I love the drivers like it. Like that means a lot. Um, and you're right. The shot itself, the, the, the beauty of the, um, uh, when you see the overheads, like it is, it is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. I've been to Saudi Arabia, not to Jenna and there's, there's, there is a lot of beauty. I mean, there's a lot of beauty and you are right. This shows that off very, very much. Um, I, yeah. elite, elite was just interesting. It was interesting for, to hear you say it was elite, but you might be right. You might be right. I, it's from a tourism perspective and from a marketing perspective, hundred percent from a, a racing perspective. I think we've gotten pretty decent racing there. It's hard. It's hard to say that, you know, like, oh, this is a great race especially when Red Bull is just like so much better. It's like every race or, you know, every track this year might end up being put to shame because of that Red Bull. But, you know, and I, and I, don't, I don't think the race this week was fantastic. Like, I don't think it was, it didn't really give us drama and you know, anything like on the track that happened. Um, I don't know if I love the DRS zones. There's three of them. It almost seems like it's, too powerful on the track, but that can be changed. Yeah, I mean, the speed of the track itself is pretty is awesome. I agree. Yeah, they wanted to design it to be one of the fastest track, if not the fastest track. Um, but yeah, I, I will say that they've done they've made a lot of safety changes, uh, and I think that just like cars, your racetrack has an evolution, and you learn from it. And I think that that's what they're doing because it shows the drivers seem to be more confident driving on it too. That's always a good thing yeah. because you you see these races sometimes and you, you know that incidents have happened at some of these tracks, but you don't want to remember those tracks for those incidents. And you want to remember the tracks for excellent racing. And I think that maybe in time, this track will become known for that. But I don't know with Red Bull and this engine of theirs. I, I just, who knows? <laughs> who knows if that's going to happen for a couple of years? We'll see. Yeah. Two no, it, and then, and then we're move. They're moving away from this. Um, they're move. I don't. Is it this year? They're moving away from this circuit in Jenna, and they're going to the, the actual planned, like entertainment center that they built. I gotta look into it. I want to say it's, uh, Quid Kidia. I, I don't know how to say it. It's, it begins with a Q. It says the uh, the Cornish Circuit is on the F1 calendar until 2027, while the new circuit in Saudi Arabia is under construction. Oh, so it is 27. Okay, yeah. So so it might be taking a while for that new one. Okay. Yeah, well, and it's right outside Riyadh. Um, I've been to Riyadh, which is the capital. It's uh, yeah. I don't know. I think Jed. I don't. I don't. I I don't know enough about Saudi Arabia, but I've heard from a lot of people that it was like a hipper city. <laughs> Whatever. I'd still like to go to either one of them. It's interesting because I think in the lead up to this, we heard so many negative comments about racing in Saudi Arabia because of the human rights violations, because the wars, because of everything. And right. I think that to Saudi Arabia's credit, like I said in the last podcast, they got rid of 
compulsory hijab for women to make it more friendly to to Western culture as well, while also still being respectful of Muslim uh, traditions and cultures too. But I think what they're doing right now, they're trying to show the rest of the world that they are serious about sports. They're serious about creating, you know, this this amazing infrastructure and they want to look really good to the rest of the world and you can't you can't get mad at a country for trying to do what they can to try and you know be a part of different sports because what that does that brings in revenue that creates jobs i mean they're focusing on that also and so there are people that say i will never watch a race in uh in saudi arabia etc because i disagree with x y and z and that's fine you don't have to watch that race but i think just based off the the optics the visuals alone those people are still going to be intrigued they're still going to click on the picture and say oh wow that looks pretty so you know it's i guess every race for different you know applies to different people but I think that what Saudi Arabia is doing is is pretty spectacular, to be honest, when it comes to, especially when it comes to uh, uh, F1 and their commitment to F1. Uh, There's another um, Middle Eastern venue that is doing something pretty interesting. It's uh, the Abu Dhabi. Well, I guess it's Formula One doing it, but with the final race of the season at Abu Dhabi, F1 partnered up with MSC Cruises and they're launching this like super unique Grand Prix hospitality experience. During that race, there's an offering, a hospitality package. It's on one of their cruise ships, the Virtuosa. And so you could get like a cabin only ticket or like the full experience, which gives you access to paddock, pit lane walk, guide and track tours, other, you know, exclusive experiences and activities and things like that. Uh, what do you, what say you about some uh, fun integrations here? What, what do you think about this one? This is so cool. I love this so much. And here's why. I am very afraid of water. I, if it involves a cruise ship, count me out. But I've always been intrigued by cruise ships. So I feel like this was made for people like me. And I like that it's an all-in-one sort of package that they've created, and I like that there's multiple different tiers. I know packages start at 2000, around 2000 USD, which includes a room for two, three-day grandstand tickets, and two flights on Emiratis. So then there's the Yacht Club suite for 8700 which is the creme de la creme. There's 24-hour butler service, premium drinks, access to the paddock club and its amenities, three-day hospitality passes. They're doing transfers uh, that are included in the package to and from the boat to the track, obviously. I think this is so freaking cool. I I think that this is, and we talk about tracks being designed to look sexy now. I think that having these different types of experiences, activations, et cetera, they're only going to make the sport better because it, you're having to kind of dig deep right now to find things that fit with all of your uh, your different fans. And this is just one of those unique, one-of-a-kind type of experiences. And I love this. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we're... No, I mean, we're seeing so much, especially with, with Vegas right now. 
and, and a lot of the different like crazy experiences that are happening, you know, for that, for that Grand Prix and people are talking about it. And I don't know that we talk, quite frankly, I don't know that there's a lot of hospitality packages outside of like those F1 experiences or those, you know, paddock club experiences, like outside of those, I don't know that we hear a lot about a lot of other Grand Grand Prix doing, um, you know, interesting stuff like, like this. And I would say, you know, first of all, it doesn't shock me that it's one of the Middle Eastern countries or races that's doing this. Um, and again, I'm speaking from my time in Saudi Arabia, which, you know, it was one trip, but hospitality was off the charts, right? It was like, we had the red carpet rolled out for us for the for the event that we were at and what and it was just next level. And I know that people say a lot of those types of things about the F1 events in the Middle Eastern countries where they are just next level when it comes to hospitality, entertainment, experience. I mean, it is up there, if not the top, the cream of the crop. So I love seeing stuff like this. I think it's really cool. I don't know. I don't know how other. I don't know how other GPs compete with things like this, though, right? Like, how do you? I I don't know. It's almost like how do you compete with with something? I wouldn't say at this high of a level or at this unique of a level, especially if your location might not allow for it, right? Yas Marina is perfect. It's right there. They have a dock literally right there. So this is like a no-brainer. And it actually makes you almost think about like, let's go to Monaco for a second with all those yachts and how exclusive those yachts are. And it's impossible to get on one, right? Unless you own one or you pay stupid amounts of money. Um, Now, these are cheap either, but it's just kind of, it's... I like it. I like seeing the creativity. I like seeing different um, um, attractions, if so, so to speak. Not because that's what gets me interested in this, the, the 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 series or what gets me wanting to come back for more, but just because I know there are people that be like, "Wow, I get a cabin and an F one ticket for you know a thousand bucks, whatever, eight hundred pounds." That's that's cool. I'm game. Like I want to go try that. I mean, I've been talking to people. This is probably a little off, off topic on the on this specific thing, but I was just talking to. Um, we had some family photos taken, and the photographer was actually telling me she like you know has seen my one stuff on Instagram, and she was like, "Oh my god, me and my husband are going to an F1 race." And I was like, "That's awesome. Do you do you guys watch F1? Like what's She's like, no, not really. But my husband, um, you know, he 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 likes it, but he's new to it. Uh, we decided to just buy tickets to Barcelona. We're gonna fly out to Barcelona. Like, we're gonna make it a whole trip. And I'm like, that's freaking awesome. Like, that's cool. Um, you know, no interest in it before, but paired with a cool city, Barcelona is a, a really cool city, and it's a trip for you know a couple or whatever, a family or a party, a bunch of friends, whoever it is. And that's what I think F1 needs to lean more, you know, lean into more is things like that. You are racing in some of the coolest 
areas of the world, you have, you know, access to some of the most exclusive, or it is one of the most exclusive, um, you know, sports or series in the world. And people are willing to go and and, and explore and experience this on top of adding value back into the country or the city that you're at. And I, and I, I don't know, I don't know that, that enough is done to, to highlight that, to highlight the culture and the tourism aspect. And we know that it does, right? Like just with, with Vegas, they're talking about over one and a half billion dollars of economic value pumped right back into the, to the Vegas economy, right? Uh, Miami was something like $500 million just into that local area in Miami. Um, and I'm sure there's numbers for, for all the races. Those are just the first two that pop in my head. But like knowing that these are, are things that actually happen and those are numbers that are real and they can put, they can actually, you know, track and quantify. I want to see more stuff like this. Like this should be the, this should be the first step of, of many, many, many other partnerships that F1 makes or that different tracks make with, you know, just interesting or cool or different um, partners to make it appealing to people to come out to. Like, hey, I may not even want to go to the race. I might just want to go on the cruise and just do a cabin, you know, a cabin um, ticket and I'll just watch the race. I'll just be around the race, just hearing the race, right? Just being able to hear the cars go around the track and I'll watch it at the bar on the on the, the boat, on the ship. Like that's good enough for me, for some people, not me, for some people, right? And um, that, like I said, that gets me excited for the opportunities that are available. You just have to take, they just have to take advantage of it. They just have to take advantage of the, the excitement uh, of the, you know, of the, the, the sport, of the excitement for, uh, that, that's being pumped in, of the, the hype that we're, you know, that we are constantly getting bombarded with. Right now, they, they need to go all in. There's there's brands that are knocking on the door. There's cut. There's companies and and partners that are knocking down the door to get involved. Like, you know, let them in. Come up with some creative stuff and and let them in because this is what's going. I think what's going to eventually grow it when you can turn each GP into an experience. You know, like it's the Super Bowl or the World Cup or you know, name any massive, you know, Champions League, like it's somewhat, any massive sporting event, that's how you, you know, succeed and win. Because if it's just 23 races, yeah, it's fine. You're always going to have your diehards, but you're not really going to take it over the, you know, you're not going to take it over the line like they want it to. Yeah. Well, I see, I see cruise ships in Miami. I see them doing stuff there. I see, uh, Crazy enough in Austin, I think this would work setting up uh, those types of glamping type situations outside of Coda. I could see that selling. I could see yeah. people like set up this like real southwestern style venue with glamping tents and airstreams and all sorts of different types of of, of, of sleeping situations that are high end. And I see people paying for that. Absolutely. I see that 
you, they can build a city within a city and that would attract a ton of people. So there's so many different opportunities. They just have to get clever. And like, like you said, you don't even have to like racing to want to experience an F1 event. And it's just, it just happens to be that F1 is there and that's what makes it that's what kind of takes that over the edge. That's what that's what makes it more unique. And it's like Super Bowl. I know lots of women who accompany their husbands or boyfriends to the Super Bowl. They don't actually go to the Super Bowl. They just like hanging out. They like going to the parties. They like hanging out by the pool. They like just kind of being in a different vibe. And that that's their thing. They don't like football, but their husbands do. And that's fine. So it, it's just, I think that if you want to attract, especially couples, families, that's what you have to do. You have to think outside the box. And I think right now is prime time for, for all these different race cities to do it. I don't know what Las Vegas would be able to do aside from what they're currently doing. I think that Vegas is, is very much limited to what's on the strip, which is fine. But I mean, <laughs> that's still a lot. That's still a lot. We're talking about these crazy, you know, grand experiences like having a cruise ship in dock, uh, watching an F1 race. I hope that F1 can figure it out in all these other cities because I was talking to my brother actually and and him and his friend were kind of deciding like, well, we want to go to a race. We don't know which race we want to go to. We're thinking Vegas. We're thinking this. We're thinking that. And then they're thinking, well, you know what? We could also go to Europe too and have a really good time in Europe. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that I mean, you've got people in America who would skip out on the Vegas race, skip out on the Miami race, the Austin race, and go to Europe too. So it's like F1 knows that there's fans that for the money, they want an experience outside of F1. So yeah. they've got to start to capitalize on that more because there's such, there's so many pockets of untapped fans, especially in the U.S. They have no idea what Formula One is. I meet people all the time who are just like, oh, what's F1? And they just they don't know and that's okay but it's like how does f1 get to those fans you offer experiences that are super super unique and at the end of the day they want money they want to make money they're not in this for charity they're not in this to throw these elaborate uh you know high-end events for for nothing so if you're going to be spending the money to run the circus that is formula one do it right because you're going to have people that are, they're not going to want to go back. I, I know plenty of people who don't want to go to races at Coda anymore. And it's not because they don't love the track. It's not because they don't love the racing. It's just that they've already experienced it and they want to experience something else. So it's like, how does even, how does Coda, who, who I mean, their attendance is through the roof. It seems like everybody wants to come to Austin, but yet you saw people who say, I wouldn't go back. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, so something you just said kind of got me thinking too. And it's like you're talking about the glamping or whatever in Austin and camp, whatever camping and stuff like that. With, and then you're, you know, you mentioned your brother, hey, we'll go to Europe. There's plenty of Europeans that want to come, you know, as much as some people want to believe, you know, what, F1 Twitter or F1 TikTok people are complaining about. Reality is, Europeans want to come to the United States. Europeans love Miami. Europeans love California, Las Vegas, New York. Uh, 
what are your sources, Vincenzo? Plenty of family in Italy and friends in Europe that this is what they talk about. There's plenty of athletes. Um, it, you know, Lionel Messi is, is one of them. Loves Miami. Uh, love him and, and and his buddy Suarez. Like always in Miami party. A lot of Europeans. One of my favorite uh, soccer players, uh, Francesco Totti, loves Miami. It's it's the reality is. That's a hot spot. So people that are complaining about Miami, you also have to think about what Miami means to the global aspect of Formula One. There's plenty of people globally that want to go there. Just like there's plenty of Americans that would that may punt on a race in the United States because they're like, eh, whatever. I've been to Vegas a million times. I really don't care that much. I'd rather go see a race at Silverstone. I'd rather go see a race in Barcelona. I'd rather go see a race in um, the Netherlands, right? So, like, there's because you go to race in the Netherlands, and then hey, we'll take the train and we'll go to Amsterdam, and then we'll go to Paris. Like the whole thing. That's how Americans are probably thinking about it. So, when we talk about you know the addition of races and the addition of of more experiences and things like that, you have to think about how to approach or how Liberty or how Formula One is approaching each, you know, venue and the venues they currently have, the venues that they're currently locked into, how do we make those appealing? And this is this is a great example. And this Yas Marina example. Yas Marina, first of all, is already has all the glitz and glamour. It, it, it's already that's it, it already is that. So adding more hospitality to it is is fantastic. And I like it, you know, we'll kind of I think we'll just stop here with this topic but like i think we'll see a lot more of this with existing circuits that have longer term you know contracts or deals we'll probably start seeing more of this they're going to want to turn these things into experiences um and i guess this is my last thought it happened with france right with uh, paul ricard i mean the owner of the circuit or the promoter of the circuit was like we will do whatever it takes if we have to americanize this thing to keep it on the calendar, like we'll do this because they don't want to lose it. And they know that the entertainment aspect is what people in general want. It's not just the racing anymore, even though again, purists will argue with us, but the reality is you want more money flowing in. You need more than just the purists. You need the people that are going to come in and turn it into a $10,000 weekend. Um, so anyway, I don't want to keep belaboring that because like I said, we could go on that all day, but there are opportunities and it'll be exciting to see what happens. I think I want to pay attention to this more because I think we'll see more of it. Um, keeping, I guess, keeping in line with interesting news, uh, Sebastian Vettel, and I know you brought up something earlier in our pre-show about this. Um, Sebastian Vettel invested $1.5 million into a vegan energy startup company it's called Bax. Um, curious as to what your thoughts are on athletes investing um i know lewis hamilton does a lot of it but you know pedal dropping i think it was a million and a half on their most recent seed funding round which is pretty big dollars and he's a brand ambassador what are your thoughts yeah i think it just shows the leverage that these drivers have now that you think oh you've made how many millions of dollars in your racing career and now it's you've retired and 
now you become an investor in these other businesses and now you're just watching your money multiply. And I think the opportunities that modern F1 is bringing these drivers is pretty spectacular. It's pretty awesome. And I know that, again, there are a lot of racing purists who say, just stick to racing, just focus on racing. You don't need to do social media. You don't need to. Yes, they do. Because the more these drivers can promote themselves through and leverage themselves through these brand deals, the more money they're going to make in their contracts. And likewise, when they retire, the more in demand they're going to be. They're never going to, in short, they're never going to have to worry about money for the rest of their lives if they spend it correctly. And remember, when they retire, they are, I mean, I, I don't know how how long Alonzo could race until he's 50. Uh, and he might, <laughs> but, you know, it, it shows that you can race until maybe your early mid 40s and be just fine. Uh, but you know that you're going to be taken care of for the rest of your life because of the way you've been able to leverage yourself while you were an F1 driver. And he apparently took the uh, this uh, energy drink last year. He took it and he said that uh, they were the first energy drink or energy supplement that he had tried throughout his 15-year F1 career that has made him energized, uh, basically said right until the end of a Grand Prix without any stomach problems or side effects. So it's plant-based, Sports performance. There's no artificial preservatives, sweeteners, colors, caffeine. It's free of 14 major allergens. And I think right now there's a huge shift in natural foods. There's a huge shift in sort of this holistic health approach. And so I think he also has done his market research because he knows that that's where sports performance is, is going right now. So, I mean, good on him. Uh, I'm glad that he has something really going on in his post career because it shows that you can have a very successful F1 career and then go on to do other things. Yeah. And, I, you know, the fact that it's, um, there's mutual values, sustainability, the company themselves is all about sustainability, obviously health and performance. And, and that matches up with, you know, what he wants, you know, someone like Sebastian and again, Lewis as well. I'm not, I, I don't want, because Lewis, has been doing a lot of this. Lando does a lot of this as well. A lot of investing uh, and, and you know creating businesses. It's a reminder, a solid reminder that the racing is only a very small aspect of who these drivers are. Like they are so much more than just the racing. Uh, the short period of time they get to race. In the grand scheme of things, most of these drivers are going to race for, you know, let's say 20 years, let's say 30 years of their life, not just Formula One, but all sorts of racing. Let's say they race for 30 years of their life. Yes, there are some that race well into their, you know, older ages, but most of that is not at a, it's never going to be at the level of Formula One, right? When you're in your 20s in Formula One, that's just a, it's a platform for them. And I think more drivers start to see that as, hey, we're going to use this platform. We're really good at something like like other athletes. So this is not me saying that Formula One drivers are the only ones that know how to do this. We, there's plenty of other athletes that do this. They use the platform that they're able to build up while they're playing the sport. And they go and they make a crap ton more money out of the sport. 
uh, and that's how they they're able to to you know keep doing whatever it is that they want to do. You know, uh, you look at someone like Tiger Woods or Tom Brady or Michael Jordan, LeBron James. Yes, these are the biggest names in sport. Uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton, right? What they actually make in their sport pales in comparison to what they can make or what they do make in endorsements. And now it's not even just endorsements. It's I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to invest in my own business, right? It's taking that endorsement and going to the next level. You know, Michael Jordan, it was like, cool. I have a shoe named after me, blah, blah, blah. Well, now, now it's the Jordan brand, right? It's like, it's more than just me putting my name on a Nike shoe. It's my name. It, it, it's my brand. And yeah. that's worth more than anything. And he, you know, Michael, and Michael, again, Michael Jordan is a, I don't want to say a freaking example. An outlier is the word I was looking for. You know, that's an outlier example, but the F1 drivers, there's not many of, you know, there's not very many of them. So the platform they get is, is huge. They have a lot of opportunities and they're surrounded by branding and sponsorships and partnerships and endorsement. I mean, this is what they're, you know, as a, a motorsport driver as a uh, like this is what you this is what your life is you you're 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 getting sponsorships and deals and things like that and so that's the only way you can race you know especially in the lower levels and so they're they're so used to it it's like good on you good on Vettel uh for making a move especially with a company he believes in and and uh I love to see it. I, I know we're going to see more of this as we go. You know, Daniel Ricardo, he, he's doing a lot of stuff with uh, the wine companies and the telecommunications companies down in in Australia. And then he seems to really actually, you know, believe in some of the stuff that he that he's investing in. He's got his own lines. Like you, you see with a lot of drivers, and I know, like I could probably sit here and name a lot of drivers that are doing this. A lot of athletes are doing it, but it's it's a positive thing to see. And it's also a very, very uh, good reminder for us, the fans, that these people are more than just what you see on race day or during the season. They have other lives and interests. Indeed. I just think it's, it's interesting, too, in the U.S. because there's the name image likeness, and it used to just be that college athletes, you got paid through tuition and exposure to professional teams and now because of the nil deals they're able to market themselves and make money off themselves and you know now you're kind of seeing some of the the, the fallout from that with different investigations etc but you know i think it's it's we're at this kind of uh point right now especially in sports history where athletes are in control for the first time athletes know their worth they know their value and i think in the case of f1 mm-hmm. By Liberty allowing athletes to use their Twitter accounts the way they do, by teams now allowing to use their Twitter accounts the way they do. It's not just the athletes. It's not just the drivers that are getting better, bigger deals, promotions, et cetera. It's also people within these organizations who are able to really uh, put themselves out there and say, this is this is uh, sort of behind the scenes of F1, and then they're able to grow a big presence, and suddenly they're a much larger asset to the team that they're they're working for. And so there are so many opportunities, marketing opportunities outside of the driver pool that people also kind of don't really pay attention to it. it. We could talk about this for hours also, but it's just such a fascinating topic once you actually like 
get into it and you start to really look at the, especially the women on the track that are doing the um, uh, um, hospitality stuff, social media stuff, just their knowledge. Once you actually talk to these people, the, just what they know about the different countries, the different tracks, the teams, et cetera, it's just, it, they're so fascinating. So yeah, they, they are a huge asset to their teams and to the sport in general. So uh, speaking of drivers who live, eat, and breathe their sport, Verstappen, the Verstappen crew. Uh, I, I know, I know you saw this because everyone saw this. Yost Verstappen. There's a clip going around of Max's dad not celebrating with Sergio, and Sergio's kind of like jumping into it's like it's you know all the team and they're congratulating him, and Yost is right next to him and he's just kind of looking forward, not really engaging in, in anything. And, and people lost their mind over it. Oh my God. And, you know, they showed Sergio Perez's dad congratulating Max and kissing Max and like hugging Max after Max won. You know, Yost didn't re- kind of return that to Sergio. I, one thing, one comment I'll make about that is that I, I think it's un- it was unfair to Yost that they, first of all, that clip was cut short and he actually did give him like kind of a, this bump handshake said a couple words to him um right after if you notice the end of the clip sergio turns back to somebody kind of put his arm out if you watch the extended version of that clip or from other angles it's yost that he ends up kind of high-fiving with so very unfair to be like oh my god this is a rift at red bull and i just i think it's terrible but the other aspect of that is that these dudes are race car drivers. I'm not giving anybody a pass for not being a good sport. But with what we've heard about how that Yost race Max, anything but winning is like not good enough. Which, you know, take that, takes from that what you wish as a listener. You know, you could rag on Yost all you want. You can say, oh my God, that's not how to raise a kid, whatever. This is how he did it, right? He, it's, it's all about winning. So yes, he's genuinely not happy if his kid doesn't win. Um, you know, and Max has made many comments like, I'm not here to be second. I'm not here to be second. And I know that he gets that from Yost. So I don't know, just a, a mix of things. People want to people make something of nothing. Also, I think because of Red Bulls, what's going to be one of the most dominating seasons in F1 ever, potentially, I think people just want to cause drama just to stir up something to be like, oh, look, there's problems and it's going to fall apart and they're going to suck. And it's like, yeah, it's hard not to think that after what happened last year between uh, Mac, the comments that Max's mom made, um, that they didn't sit down all the parties and say, have a screaming match if you need to get it all out. This We, we can't have this. That would be really poor leadership of Red Bull to just continue to allow this to just fester. That's not good. You you want your teammates to at least get along, at least look like they respect each other. And I think that also extends into families. And we talk about how people act at races. and, And we've talked about that on this podcast. And it's like, you know, it's how do you act on social media also? It's just knowing when to not say things because you know that's going to stir the pot because now we are how many months after still talking about that and we're still talking about it as it relates to uh, 
oh, Max's dad snubbed Sergio. And it's, it's all the drama that's just being reignited. And it's so unnecessary. Obviously, Red Bull has something really strong going. Obviously, we know that Max wants to win. We also know that Sergio wants to win. And we know that at some point, they're gonna, Red Bull is going to have to make race decisions of, of who's going to win these races, especially if both cars are as powerful. Uh, and so I just think that we're, we're looking for drama. And it's not necessary. And we should be focusing on other things. And that's just, I think that's, that's all that needs to be said on that. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens next week uh, with, with Red Bull. Um, I, I just, I see Sergio as not wanting to just be second place. So obviously Max doesn't want to, you know, ever lose. So that'll, <laughs> that, that could come to a head at some point, but it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see if those drivers are allowed to uh, race in a race um, and, and, and battle it out amongst each other. That'll be, that, that might be the best battle of the season, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. So any drama is, I think it's good to remember that anything people complain about or talk about or drama that people try to drum up online is usually from a place of bias. It's usually you are a fan of a different team and don't like it, so you want to make something up and stir the pot but it's there's rarely a lot of truth to the drama that you read about and of course we as uh you know people as fans that don't have access inside don't really know what's happening you know yeah. and you could take anything that you see out of context and turn it into a oh my god that it red bull's falling apart right you could take one comment out of context and tell me that somebody said something they didn't or they did something they didn't but reality is like you have to look at all sides of the story so th th this will be fun to see what happens i am i am pretty excited about that as upset as i might get as a, a fan of of, of uh, another team but as a fan of the sport i'm, I'm here for i'm here for the for the Verstappen, you know, I'm not happy with second place. I love that. Like to me, that's just that's eye of the tiger. That is, I'm not losing. Like I'm a race car driver. I am not. I didn't come here to take second place. So you have to prove that aspect of me. Oh God, he wants to be the best. I can't blame him. You know, when he made that comment a couple of years ago, like I'm happy. I'll be happy with one because you know whatever after one when does it matter like the second one it's no different like he had made something some sort of comment like that i knew i was like nah he's he's full of it there's no way he means that once you get one you're gonna want two once you get two you want three once you want three like you're not it's not stopping like you're coming for every driver that has three and after that you're gonna go you're gonna come at every driver that has four you're gonna go for every driver you know what i mean like you you want as many of those as you possibly can and he we forget how young max is but we, you know, we are at a moment of uh, a once in a generation type driver. I truly believe that. Yeah. Do you see him driving until he's in his forties though? That's the question. Does he become so obsessed with like 
what he's doing or God, see how he ages, right? Like everybody does age differently too, right? Um, not everybody is going to be like a Lewis Hamilton or a Tom Brady or or even a Fernando Alonso, but but they've also they all get that way very differently too, right? Not they're not all following the same diet and they're not all taking the same right, doing the same thing. Like they're all kind of coming about it their own ways. Like it'll be interesting to see how Max handles. You know, because I'm 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 closer to forty than I am. Well, I'm yeah, very close to forty. So after thirty, you know, the body changes. You have to change what you're doing. How is he going to adapt at that point? I mean, remember, he's only 24, 25 years old, or I think he's twenty four, right? So like, he's nowhere near that yet. If he can, if he wins, let's say another three championships before he's thirty, you know, and he's like, you know what, I'm good. I got five, like whatever. And maybe he just doesn't care anymore. I, just, I don't see that happening either. I think if he gets to five before he's 30, he's like, yeah, I'm going for it. I'm going for eight or nine. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, a, it's like, how is he going to take care of his body? I'd be curious to see how he does that. You know, because that's, that's in the sport is what you, you know, you're, 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 I think he's got the mental, the mental aspect of it. He's, he's stone cold. Yeah. It's, it's body. How do you take care of the body? You know, Lewis takes care of his body. I think Lewis's body can go, another 20 years you know but mentally does he have it does he want it um i'm not saying he doesn't i'm saying is he going to want to as he gets older you know same thing you see that with alonzo or vettel like do they do they want it do they want to continue to go after and chase after it as they get older like so i don't think max has that issue i think it's I think, are you going to take care take care of yourself but you know yeah um, physically go ahead where is that i think with Alonzo, it was a different story than, yeah, he's the oldest on the grid now, but with him, he just didn't have the car that could do what he, he wanted. Yeah. And now yeah. he has that. And so it's like, it, it it is the car. You could be an incredible driver, I mean, and, and just not have the power. Look at Lewis right now. We know what Lewis is capable of doing. Mercedes just can't do it. And that is, that's putting Lewis in a very interesting spot because he's not used to being in the position that Mercedes is putting him in. Likewise, Fernando Alonso isn't used to being in that position either because he's used to having subpar cars. So you're seeing what these optimized drivers who are just, they're pure drivers, they want it. It's, it's, it's in their, their blood. And you're seeing that now materialize with, with Alonso and you're seeing that yeah. sort of kind of fade away with, with uh, Hamilton. And it does, it does put Mercedes in a precarious position right now because Obviously, they want an extension for Lewis, but Lewis wants a good car. So it's like at this point, if you're Mercedes, you're now taking your cues from Lewis. You're going to give Lewis the kind of car that he wants, especially knowing what Lewis can do in those cars. So and, and here's the thing. Last year, it was said that Lewis was was kind of, you know, the tester for the technology and that George just kind of got to enjoy it. And because Lewis had been, you know, in, in the sport significantly longer than George. And so he, his feedback was a little more important. And so if you're going to put that level of, of value on a driver, but not give them the car that they, that they need, I don't know that something's got to give right now with Mercedes or else you're going to see an era of Max Verstappen dominance. And you're probably going to see uh, Lewis Hamilton, maybe even retire earlier than he would want to because of it. And that's, that would just, I think that would be bad for the sport because that's what we remember 
we would remember 2021 as sort of that bookend for Lewis Hamilton, and nobody wants to remember that. Even you don't you don't have to like Lewis to know that that is a shitty way to 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 lose your potential last world championship. Mm-hmm. So yeah, moi, we'll we'll see how the season plays out, especially with Red Bull and Mercedes. Lots of different storylines to follow, but I think the bottom line, the gist of of how this conversation started was, you know, just the drama, let the drama play out on track. We don't need to exacerbate or make things up just for likes, just for drama, because I mean, we have the Kardashians for that. Let them handle that. (laughs) Wow. Many will, many will argue and say that, you know, the drive to survive generation has, has kind of amplified in drama, but I will leave you with this note. If you want drama, just go back and watch any season formula of the actual racing formula one and go back and read up on some history go back and read up on some of the rivalries uh, of the past and you'll realize that the drama was always there we just didn't have social media or you know tv the way we do now that is is amplifying a lot of this stuff so uh, when you when you think that you know it's never been done before it's just a repeat of another time we just have the tools at our disposal <laughs> at our disposal to get it in our pocket whenever we want so but with that that's, but i'm leaving it with that one but with that though we also have tools in our pocket to take things out of context and make them more dramatic and they were so i mean again take that with with what you will <laughs> yeah of course absolutely uh, good good and bad for sure I, I agree with you on that one as always um i'm going to sign off on the show asking you all if you're if you're a listener of the show and you haven't yet gone over to your favorite podcast player, I'll leave a rating and review. If you want a question of yours answered on the show, leave a review. If you don't care, just leave a rating because they both help us out, get the show out there, get the word out about our show to more and more people. I'm Vincenzo Landino. You can find me at Vincenzo Landino. Give us, give us your feedback of the show, what you think. We'd love to hear it. I am VF Castro. You guys can find me at VF or at the VF Castro on Instagram and Twitter. The VF Castro. The VF Castro. The. Talk to you guys next week. Later. Thank you so much for tuning into the VF1 show. If you liked it, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And for previews of next week's show, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the VF Castro and Vincenzo Landino.